The Food and Drink Show with Abby Moulton, Josh Barry and The Pressure on Hoxton Radio. And we're going to uh, get tucked into food and drink across London for the next uh, little while because I've got um, food critic or writer? No, no, no. Don't call me a critic. Okay. Definitely not a critic. Food writer for yeah, the I paper, Josh Barry. Hi. Food writer with a f- just a big wholesome like for beverage, Abby Moulton. Yeah, love a drink. Of the uh, Evening Standard and other publications. How's your drinking kind of been in lockdown, Abby? More, less, the same? I started off drinking um, a lot drinking more wine at home than I usually would and then over the last months I guess it's dropped a little bit had some kombucha last night definitely having a few more non-alcoholic things I need to get some yeah bottled kombucha that I can just carry around with me and just bosh it back it's just the sensation of drinking something that's more fun than water or actually sparkling water I find quite fun I've got a sparkling water maker at home now cleansing isn't it yeah it is yeah Gets you just, uh, just gives you a, a bit of ceremony to it. And then we're talking about real ceremony and real fun. The non alcoholics are my fave. And we've got uh, Rob from Big Drop Brew on the line. Hello, Rob. Hi, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you today? I I am living the dream. I am living the dream. You, you're in a very nice space with the sloped ceilings. So there could be an attic. You've got loads of fun things on the wall. There's a kind of toy little fox there. There's a little cow, some nice pictures. And then there's a big old stack of beers right near you as well. Yeah, you've got to keep easy access to the beers if you if you're uh, if you have the uh, ability to work at home. You've got to have easy access to beers. Whereabouts are you in the world? I'm in Suffolk. Not quite sunny Suffolk. I'm looking out of my Velux attic window. You're quite right. I'm in my attic. Uh, I can see a little bit of blue sky, so it's nearly sunny Suffolk. Mm-hmm. How's big? How um? How long have Big Drop been brewing for? Big Drop. The first beer came out right at the very end of 2016. So we are about four and a half years young. And is the range fully non all all low and non alcohol? We are purely non-alcoholic. We we do not and will not produce alcoholic beer, much as I do enjoy an alcoholic beer on occasion. Um, Big Drop itself only only produces non-alcoholic brews. The range looks really interesting. There's one in particular that's caught my eye because I've never seen it before and I never even would have thought of it before, and that's your milk stout. That was the first one that we brought out. That was the one that came out at the end of 2016, and it was... Um, so I, uh, as I said, enjoy an alcoholic beer every now and again now, but back then, uh, my wife and I had had our first um, son um, and I just stopped drinking alcohol for about six months after he was born because you quickly find out that if you are going to get up in the night and change nappies and do feeds and baths and all the rest of it, then doing it either A, after you've had a few beers or B, after you've had a few beers but the morning after it doesn't doesn't always stack up doesn't always work for you so <laughs> i stopped drinking altogether but the thing that i could not find i mean at the time i my in my humble opinion non-alcoholic beer wasn't very good anyway but i like i do like the darker beers that's my favorite sort of style of beer and i could not find a non-alcoholic stout didn't it did not exist as a thing and so i thought and this isn't my background. I, I was a lawyer for my sins for, for many years. And I just thought, well, let's see if we can make one. Why not? So is we it, did. Is it tricky to make? Trickier than any of the light beers, say? Um, it is It is tricky. Um, so we don't... The, the thing that we don't do is we don't brew a normal full-strength beer and then remove the alcohol, which is how a lot of non-alcoholic beers are made. They, they brew a beer and then they strip out the alcohol but that takes away flavour and it means I think sometimes the beers end up tasting a bit less good than they should do, shall we say. So we just brew it using clever brewing techniques, but but the beers never get to more than a, a trace, 0.5% in the um, in the beer, which means it's, it's considered alcohol-free. Um, so it took a while, it took a while for our brewer to develop the techniques, but he's pretty much got it down now. He's got it down to pat. Very cool. How have you seen people's drinking habits change in the last 12 months then and the popularity for your beverages? I think it's been interesting um, what what you said, and I had the same sort of experience during lockdown, is you start off going, I'm at work, but nobody can see me. I'm going to drink beer. 
Um, and then after a few weeks, you go, that's not a very good idea, is it? Um, and it's probably not a good idea to drink wine, you know, at five o'clock because you knock off work at five o'clock and hey, you know, whatever. So I think I went through the same thing myself. You you start start out in lockdown drinking more than you normally would. And then coming out of it, you know, I'm probably drinking less than I used to. And we've, we've we've probably seen that mirrored in our sales because we, like a lot of brands that, that sell through pubs, as we do, obviously, pub trade being closed, we've had to try and find other other routes to market. And so we, we started our own online shop so you can buy direct from our website. And the sales on that very, very quickly, I'm not sure if went through the roof is the right phrase, but yes, increased exponentially shall we say so i think that people are really using non-alcoholic beer as as a as a drink to to get stuck into when they're at home josh barry um you're a you're a fun fun filled drinker of excitement have you are you it's like there's the sober element does that tickle your fancy at all do you ever reach for a non increasingly i'm coming around to the idea of you know if you have two drinks and then maybe have what what's it called a wedgie wedgie yeah a wedgie, <laughs> a wedgie. yeah and is then, the Aussie term for it yeah wedgie. oh an Aussie one yeah and then you know and then carry on a little bit and then just to kind of st- because I mean you know I think when you're 17 18 going out and you know I remember just the, the, the very idea was just to get as drunk as you could and then go out to some nightclub and then run around a bit and then have a kebab and I, I suppose you know you carry on that mindset well through your 20s and now I'm you know I'm 31 so I should probably um, I'm absolutely all for the calming down a little bit and uh, being a little bit more sophisticated and refined maybe sitting down and crossing my legs uh, you know you have a cocktail don't you and then you have a have a glass of water even or one of these you know one of these I guess it does make you think about flavour differently as well because if you're drinking even if it's a good quality drink you're drinking it with alcohol you're drinking it kind of for the alcohol as well when you're drinking something non-alcoholic you are going to notice the flavour does that put any more pressure on you as a producer to make sure the flavours are really tipped up definitely definitely um, the, the whole point behind Big Drop was to create non-alcoholic beers that had flavor so you know there's an ipa there's a pale ale as you say there's a stout and we do we do crazy collaborations like what did we do a juniper rye ipa with um with a brewery in finland but if you are if you're setting yourself up as we do as as saying okay non-alcoholic beer has historically been a bit rubbish then you 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 better make sure that you're producing very good non-alcoholic beer so we do we do have that pressure on ourselves yeah the food and drinks show with abby moulton josh barry and the pressure on hoxton radio uh calling us up from or rather we're calling them too uh it's ed stapleton dancing this morning today ed a little bit the tunes have been really really blowing me away this morning so uh thank you for that yeah, where been, been enjoying them where is the shandy shack uh, Shani Shack is uh, based in Oxfordshire. Usually, I'm I'm a I'm a South London-based individual, uh, but our company is based uh, around Oxfordshire generally. Uh, I'm a South Londoner, boo, uh, not a not a Hoxton dweller myself. But um, yeah, hopefully you can uh, we can still have a great chat, and that uh, you won't hold that against me. Oh, I live in South London. It's a uh, much better better place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, what's the score with Shandy Shack? Um, so we, uh, Shandy Shack really is, um, we're trying to revive the Shandy for the modern age. Um, a much maligned but uh, secret obsession of quite a lot of UK drinkers. We're trying to basically bring it back into the sun um, and reinvent the drink using kind of craft quality ingredients. So um, taking the best of craft beer, uh, hops from the west coast of the US and delicious natural sodas. Uh, whether that be lemonade or elderflower or any other flavour, and combine the two together to make delicious lower alcohol drinks um, that are fit for the modern drinker. So we're looking at like two and a half, two point eight percent for your shandies. Yeah, yeah. So we have an IPA shandy which is two point eight percent ABV. That's zero point nine units per can. 
and an elder flower lager top, which is uh, 0.8 units of a can of 2.5% ABV. So, um, so yeah, we don't think that moderation is, is a case of all or nothing. Um, we feel quite strongly that there's a, there's, a, there's a gap for a sort of mid-strength alternative where you still want a little bit of, a, a of flavour and a little bit of taste, um, but you are looking to cut out a unit here and there. Um, but yeah, why is this like your love of shandy that you decided to bring it back, or did you see a bit of a gap in the market? Because I don't, I don't know too many shandies on the scene. Um, it was really just an unbridled love for shandy that it all came from. We were three friends um, on the wrong side of our twenties, slightly over the hill, couldn't really have the hangover anymore, and uh, were struggling to find kind of options that really met our our preferences in the pub. Um, and uh, and we turned to the shandy um, and all of a sudden kind of realised that shandy didn't have to be a combination of cooking lager as it's known and, and gum lemonade it could actually be a well kind of mixed uh, mixture of kind of craft beer and and a nice quality soda and the taste difference if you if you mix with those ingredients rather than the standard ingredients was just quite mind-blowing for us so we fell in love with this taste back in the summer of 2018 and we just didn't stop talking about shandy for weeks and we thought uh let's let's uh let's make the slightly rash decision to chuck in our previous careers and uh start a shandy business which uh so far um is going okay touch wood so what's the abv of the have we got have i missed that what's about two and a half two and a half percent and what's the quality so you talk about craft beer do you use craft beer or is it lager and you say soda is that kind of is it still sweet lemonade or is it kind of just soda water or what so yeah so the, the two products use different ingredients so the, our first two products use different ingredients but the, the, the ipa shandy is a double dry hop ipa so we use uh, mosaic and citra hops and um, to give it a really kind of strong hop factor and aroma um, and then we balance that with our own natural lemonade, um, which is yeah a nice kind of citrus kick to the drink. So we're trying to try to create more of a balance uh, within the drink. So all of the all of the recipes that we use are are our own. We uh, sweated it out in the brewery to kind of teach ourselves how to come up with the perfect the perfect components. Um, the elderflower lager top is a again a kind of dry hot pilsner um, with an elderflower presse. Um, so it's a lighter drink in both in colour and sort of taste. Um, really, really good on a screaming hot day, uh, which hopefully there'll be more of um, over the next few weeks. And hopefully we'll see you out in the shack because you made your own sort of mobile bar that you've been taking to festivals and food fairs. Yeah, that was how we that was how we got started um, back in 2018. We thought the quickest way to see whether we were barking up the wrong tree would be to build a. A, a bar and sort of try and try and host our own parties and events and get loads of friends down and see um, see what people thought. So uh, we had a whale of a time. We bought an old uh, flatbed trailer from Gumtree, knocked together a bar which fell apart a number of times, but nonetheless was uh, was was good fun and we're very uh, we're very kind of uh, we have a lot of adoration for that shack. But uh, yeah, we went to quite to quite a few events, tested out our shandies with quite a few different people and thankfully the feedback was more positive than negative and um once we'd done that we uh you know we we sort of went forward and really kind of pushed on our own products um to the point where we have those those two canned products now um which are distributed across uh, both the off trade and the on trade um where will you be this summer have you signed up to any festivals yet uh, festivals this year it's been a bit of a challenge for us to be honest we did quite a lot of festivals in 2019 but obviously uh, Covid has put a fairly giant spanner in the works over the last uh, year or so so um, we're unsure what festivals we're going to be doing this summer still um, so yeah but I think from twenty from 2022 onwards I think we'll be back in, in full force in the shack um, bringing, bringing the sort of the shack lifestyle um, to as many drinks as possible in the meantime, we can find you at Sainsbury's. Yeah, so we, well, we've just finished a trial with Sainsbury's, and we are uh, having some conversations with them at the moment, uh, which are going well. So hopefully, we will have some news on that relatively soon. Um, but yeah, Sainsbury's very much um, we are we're flirting heavily with them, let's say, and, and hopefully we can get that over the line. So Sainsbury's uh, hopefully this summer, as well as a few kind of um, really high end uh, and 
great uh, establishments around London, um, bars, pubs. Um, so yeah, th- those are kind of uh, the things we're working on at the moment. Um, but yeah, we're we're available through Amazon and uh, and through our website as well at the moment. If anybody fancies grabbing some shandies. Abby, do you fancy some? You've gone very quiet. It seems like there's like a story here in the past where Abby was, you know, just she had an experience with Shandy's and she can't go back. Is this true? (laughs) No, that's not true at all. Uh, No, I've just been uh, engrossed in the conversation. Um, But I have always loved Shandy. And it's funny, actually, because you mentioned when you started speaking that it is a much maligned kind of category. And I wondered how the reception has been because when I've ordered a Shandy over the years, there's definitely been a few smirks around the table and a bit like, what, you're drinking shandy? Have you had to kind of contend with any of that? Yeah, no, it's been it's been one of the, the funnest parts, if I'm honest, of the whole thing. I think there is this kind of bizarre stigma that's existed for quite a long time around shandy, mainly because it's a lower strength drink, which I think people have gradually realised is, is not actually the end of the world if you uh, decide to moderate your alcohol intake. Um, so yeah, we've quite enjoyed kind of getting stuck into that whole culture around Shandy and um, I mean running kind of um, social media stuff. You get quite a, quite some quite funny engagement from people around around Shandy, which we do enjoy. Um, but yeah, we don't take ourselves too seriously, nor do we take our Shandies too seriously. Um, I mean, we we love making great quality products, but we're quite down to earth and self-deprecating people, so we quite enjoy having a laugh about it. But I mean, uh, generally it's... when generally when people take their first sip they um they see they they taste the difference and and they kind of uh yeah they, they enjoy the, the drink taste the difference really really pushing for sainsbury's there aren't you mate <laughs> subtle plug there Not it's subtle. that thing people say isn't it if someone's a bit drunk you go oh someone's had a couple of shandies so it's kind of got that yeah. connotation already just the yeah, two exactly. shandies last <laughs> night very often yeah exactly exactly it's a great little subculture and I think actually you know as much as we love to talk about the kind of um, I think a lot of people see Shandy as the ultimate sort of hair of the dog option get them kind of uh, stirring again on a Sunday and it's not something we would necessarily talk about in our marketing but there are some great moments for a Shandy day drinking and kind of managing yourself through the day kind of thing there's some uh, some great times um, great times for it to be consumed Ed Stapleton from Shandy Shack. Thanks for joining us on Hoxton Radio today. Thank you for having me. Uh, good luck in South London. I hear it gets a bit spicy there sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, nothing a Shandy can't sell. <laughs> we'll see you very soon. Thanks, Ed. Cool. Cheers. Bye. Are you familiar with the Spirits Cocktail Newsletter, Abby? Not sure, actually. Uh, Richard Goodwin uh, writes for that publication, and in the in the Guardian today, he's pictured in a park in Bristol uh, drinking a hundred cans of canned cocktails, and he goes through a few of them and just rates them for tastiness, value for money, pandemic misery, busting potential, and then gives them an overall sort of rating. Generally, kind of cans most of them. He's just not so. He just isn't like very pleased with any of them. But it's very funny. All shook up is the very bramble. All shook up, very bramble from Tesco it's a pound it's four percent and he says if you're the kind of child who liked drinking neat squash you might get a kick out of this one like overdosing at a fun fair nice zero out of five on all scores for that one um the happy fizz he's a little bit more he's a little bit happy about this one it's from portersgin.co.uk some thoughts clearly gone into this drink it contains malted passion fruit pineapple shrub and great wafts of pachoy pacholi Patchouli? Patchouli. Patchouli. Comes out tasting like a yoga studio. Um, incense <laughs> and sour sweet. It's a, yeah, funny list. They've done 100. I got to about 25 of them. It's like, it was drunk on reading. Yeah, I mean, I imagine by the time you get to, yeah, around there, you're just going to be writing anything, aren't you? But I mean, you, how many could you, how many cocktails could you drink on a night of the same cocktail? Drink or taste? Drink. We were like, cool, let's go out and have some cocktails. How many of the same would you Three, max. Yeah. yeah. I could have, yeah, three yeah. and you'd be pretty drunk. But the t- actually, yeah, three is about enough, isn't it, Josh? Um, I don't know. It depends. Martinis, if they, you know, could do a fair few of those. Can or Hemingway you? daiquiri. The other day, on Good Friday, I walked up to Maltby Street and had a little bit of a kind of takeaway food tour situation and stumbled happened upon a little booth 
um, in Bermondsey. Uh, it was a man with a hat on, and he was just poking his head from below the parapet. Parapet? Anyway, he was underground, and he, there was this hatch, and it just folded open. I think it was called Black Swan or something. It's usually a coffee bar. And um, we sort of looked down in the sunshine, and was like, oh, my God. It's on that street, you know, Southwark, whatever street, or the one that Cassacruz on, um, and Murano and all that. And yeah, so and he got he had bags of margaritas and Negronis and various other things. Not just margaritas; they were some, they'd done something to the lime. Don't know what they'd done to it. And it wasn't. And I was very very stressed because I thought, oh no, this is going to be really sweet, isn't it? But it wasn't too sweet. So I had about four, I think I had four four just, of those in the sunshine on a bench outside a pub before mm. um, a man came out and said, "Excuse me." I just really enjoy these insights into the life of Josh. Mm. Also, cocktails in bags, I'm a big fan of. Cocktails in bags, booze in bags, wine in bags. Well, these were good. These were by the bartender at um, a, a cocktail, a really good cocktail bar, the name of which escapes me. But, you know, they were. And, and just what what's important, I think, is that there's this temptation because they're aiming, the target audience is real mainstream. And a lot of people like the kind of, are still stuck in the kind of sweeter. Cosmo Arena, where proper cocktails, it should be all about the alcohol. You don't want to mask that flavour. And these work; these margaritas work really well. But too many of these tins are just just lost in a sugary abandon, aren't they? Really. It, the main critique from our friend here, um, Richard Goodwin, of um, the spirits cocktail newsletter is just they're not strong enough basically none of them pack in with much of a punch but he does try the moth one the moth old-fashioned which is 20 percent a respectable old-fashioned from the decent moth range tastes like a grown-up drink <laughs> gives it a, gives it like a four out of five overall so you oh, were quite impressed pressed with that one as well weren't you yeah we tried that a few weeks ago didn't we and i thought yeah they were really they were pretty good i mean you want a smaller amount you know you don't want a big old tin of 5% mojito you want I mean what is that may as well have a glass of squash <laughs> neat squash neat squash that's all that is um, yeah I find it fun I love these little cans on the train I love a can a couple of cans in like first drink in a picnic or on the train or you know, drink on the train or I'd like they generally G me up I used to host table tennis tournaments and events and in between sessions I just neck a can of pins because you can just drink it very quickly and it's sort of do you have a le- sorry Abby do you have a level I'll ask you do you have a level at which you become better it's the same with Paul there's a rule isn't there three pints I think I become pretty much John Parrott on the pool table and I don't know any famous table tennis players I don't players. know if any exists. Martina Hingis on the table tennis table what's your level definitely better at pool after a few drinks i mean if i had three pints i'm only five foot three if i had three pints i would be on the floor but yeah two half pints and i'm a little bit better at pool haven't paid in years i guess it's you know confidence to like pull off those trickier shots and make those tougher moves um i shared a little i shared this article earlier today it's very funny i found it amusing if you're into your yeah who isn't into these canned cocktails the food and drink show on hoxton radio um, we are calling all the way to the West Country right now. Um, I've got a very um, handsome man on the line called Ben. Ben from Temper Meads, welcome. Hey, everyone. How you doing? Um, when is it the time of year that that sort of massive wave comes up the River Severn and people sort of um, paddleboard for about ten, like miles in? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, do you know what? You know, I have to say, I'm relatively new to this area, so you probably know more about this than I do. My friend's got a paddleboard, and he he used it in the sea last year, and he said, "Oh, I got on a wave, and it sort of brought me in a bit further." And I said, "Ah, oh, there's this thing in Bristol once a year where the tide comes in. This, I guess, the spring tide, and it brings people in for miles. They get on it and they go for a very long distance." Nice. That's a stand-up paddleboard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. My wife's my wife's a big fan. Oh, is she? Okay. She's a big fan. Uh, this is uh, Ben from Temper Meads. What is what is Temper Meads? Temper Meads, we, so we hand make in small batches um, an Indonesian plant-based food called tempeh. So it's a centuries-old, high-protein, um, doubly fermented soybean uh, product, um, which is just great in, in pretty much any dish. It's a very versatile um delicious protein sauce yeah so we through, ferment that here in bristol talk us through how you make it what does double fermented mean 
Double fermented. So that means that you start the process with a kind of wild fermentation, so a lactic acid fermentation. So that does a couple of things. First of all, it like, creates the right environment for the second stage of fermentation, but it also allows, it starts breaking down kind of the, the more difficult to digest stuff in the soybeans. So that's that first stage. Then you um, you boil the beans, inoculate them with uh, with a culture. So it's a fungus-based culture. And that then binds the beans in sort of a firm cake. Uh, it's effectively like microscopic, you know, mushrooms binding and, 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 and eating the beans. And that becomes this firm block that we know as tempeh, which kind of has a very uh, nutty flavor, but takes on any flavor from a dish. So, um, you know, pick your marinade and it'll take it on really well much better than tofu sounds like Um, the kind of thing that would happen in a breaking bad style lab where does this all go on i mean i do have some really large stainless steel pots uh and sometimes i do feel like i am living out a kind of weird sort of breaking bad dream (laughs) i mean they're also uh you know, you sell them in these kind of Ziploc bags that so all looks a little bit suspicious, especially seeing as the product is keep a white. few on the inside of your jacket so you can walk up to people in the street. <laughs> Fancy some tempeh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, have you been to the dentist recently, Ben? I've not been to the dentist for a very long time. They um, have to take extra precautions right now because corona is a thing and um, they dress in Breaking Bad style suits. <laughs> last time I went they were like oh just give us a minute we just need to get changed So, and don't be alarmed Like, so I was just lying there with my eyes closed and then when I sat up they were just dressed fully as you know, you know what are you what are you going to do to me? <laughs> what have you got planned? I went to the dentist yesterday actually. Did they have to get up on? They had all the stuff on, yeah, and you had to mask. I'd like to get that kind of get up for my own. Uh, for I think my you should. Measure. You absolutely yeah, should. You're missing a cool. trick. Look pretty cool. Um, how long have you guys been doing your thing for? So it's like a relatively new business. We started out in uh, January 2020, um, after moving back to Bristol, kind of mid 2019. Uh, the plan was just to sell to kind of restaurants, which was how we started, and then obviously they all shut. Uh, so we kind of switched to a direct-to-consumer business, which worked really well locally. Then we shifted to UK-wide distribution. And now we're really excited about the restaurants opening again because we kind of want to get back in working with them. It's really exciting to see what um, what chefs end up doing. You know, they tend to know quite well what to do with the product. And as I said, because it takes on flavors so well, like it's a real sort of chef's palate in terms of what they can uh, what they can conjure up for the dish. Is it mostly veggie restaurants or have you got any kind of non-vegetarian restaurants getting in? Oh, it's big on the kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, the veggie ones, typically the veggie ones have heard of it before, so they know what they're doing with it. But um, plenty of non-veg restaurants that obviously have, I mean, Bristol's really good for this, and London is as well, but, uh, you know, restaurants that aren't vegetarian or vegan by any stretch of the imagination, but have some really great options on there. Um, And so, yeah, there's... uh, there's quite a few of our of our places are not, not vegan at all, but they are what certainly we, happy to work with it. You've mentioned it soaks up flavour really well. What should we cook with it? Josh and I have got a portion each. What are we making? What are you making? So, well, the, the sort of traditional ways to do it in a sort of like a coconut curry, but I really like kind of tempeh satay skewers. So you just mix up a kind of satay, a satay peanut sauce, or you can buy a pre-made, marinate the, the, the chunks, you can cut it into blocks, put it on a skewer, in the oven, or obviously now you might have a chance to chuck it on your barbecue. How much? So, I mean, it's an easy thing to say this, but London, Brighton, Bristol, they're very much the kind of, that's the holy trinity of the kind of tempeh arena. Um, can you buy this anywhere in the country? And also, how much does it cost for a block? For a block? Well, it depends how big the block is. How um, big's my block? We- I've got a block. You sent me a you've block. got a 250 gram block is £4.50 okay and how many servings can... of satay tempeh skewers would this do so that is uh, I would say about 100 grams a portion so you're kind of getting uh, one pound a skewer almost something like that is it sorry about one pound a skewer then I, uh, I'd say so yeah about that about that yeah that sounds about right You've mentioned some fun supper time options, but the team at Only Green Bristol serve this in like a muffin for like a morning snack. Yeah, so they've actually, and this is where it kind of gets to the point that it's, it's, it's such a, you know, you realise how versatile it is, is that 
you know you can dice it you can slice it but you can actually kind of ground it up uh and people often make it into a sort of like a sausage patty i had that from only green the other day and it was absolutely delicious yeah. really really good sounds nice so do you so deliver sausages. everywhere then do you deliver, we deliver everywhere yeah we deliver everywhere so we started off obviously delivering locally and we we deliver that um by bike when it's relatively central bristol but we can do next day delivery which we dispatch once a week so we do it fresh every week make it new and then you also you like i saw a, a, like a recipe where you'd like whacked it in some breadcrumbs as well oh yeah 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 so uh i mean that you can kind of do like a like a schnitzel type thing or uh you know the if you actually wrap some seaweed around the tempeh and then bread it, you kind of effectively get sort of a, 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 a you know, you may have heard of toefish and chips, or this would be, I'm not even sure what I want to call it, maybe you guys can come up with something, but um, yeah, a tempeh sort of fish and chips variety. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's uh, anything that you can think of. You can turn it, you can, you know, mix it up and turn it into tempeh burgers um it's just one of those things that is a it's a versatile um you know vegan product but it doesn't have kind of a list of about a million or 20 different ingredients so what's it taste um, like then i've i've had it in coconut curries and stuff and i've had it you know in the kind of traditional sense of yeah. the word but in so the, if you in... just to fry it in oil it will just taste kind of reasonably nutty a little bit nutty very mild flavor um Again, it's kind of the key is in the marinade. So you, you, you put a bit of my favorite, really simple one is soy sauce, maple syrup, fry in slices, stick it in a sandwich, sourdough bread, absolutely delightful. And does it hold its form? You mentioned the tofu and chips and so on. One of the issues I think with kind of a lot of people use banana blossom. Does it hold its yeah. form a little better? It holds its form really well. So it's kind of a lot firmer it's hard to describe the texture exactly I mean, someone said it's kind of like a really firm hash brown but a much firmer so it will it will hold I mean that's why it slices so thinly and people use it instead of instead of bacon for example it's really uh, got a got a great uh, you know great texture and a great great firmness to it this is Ben from Tempeh Meads, which you can find um, on, on the website and on the Instagram of that. And if you're looking for a bit of um, water sport activity this weekend, in March 2006, Steve King, a railway engineer from Gloucestershire, set a world record for the longest surfing ride on the River Bore while riding um, a se- riding the Seven Bore, rather. Um, he surfed for 12 kilometres. And this is a Guinness World Record. He's blown off his socks. There we go, Ben. He's uh, uh, he's uh, just <laughs> beside himself with excitement. Um, thanks very much for joining us on the line today. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot for your call. And um, yeah, nice we'll to speak to you. Likewise, and we'll uh, see you very soon. If you make tasty food or drink and would like to be featured on the show, drop us an email to info at hoxtonradio.com. Daft Punk from somewhere near Paris and France for all the Call My Agent fans out there. You know who you are. Welcome to the telephone line all the way from Bedfordshire, Hertfordshire, Buckinghamshire, Mayfairshire. It's Caroline (laughs) from Novikov. How are you? Yeah, good. I'm fantastic. Thank you very much. Getting through these cold, chilly days, I must say, I'm enjoying it. Well, a lot of people are, what? but it's a bit of a change of tempo. Tell me what you're enjoying. How are you finding? What What are you finding fun about these sub-zero conditions? Well, when you get outside, you have a, a blast of fresh air and you feel alive very quickly. Then you have to run inside in front of a fire and warm up, and maybe have a glass of wine or two. Now I've now we've found out about the real <laughs> you. Where in the southern hemisphere do you hail from? From Brisbane originally, um, yeah, way back when. And I've also lived in Sydney for some period of time as well. But um, Brisbane is is the home, home to home, home away from home. I was honestly going to guess Brisbane. Seriously. I'm so... uh, serious. Yeah, yeah. And I get everything wrong usually with accents, but I was I don't know why. You just sound like, you know, the surfer accent, you know? <laughs> like on the beach. Yeah, they, I don't, yeah the beach is good. The surfboard, mm, I'm not sure about that one. Anyway, I'll leave that. I'll leave that to some of the youngsters. <laughs> for radio and for commercial radio in particular, the um, the Aussies are are ahead of us. You've been ahead of us for quite a while. Um, in terms of like service and the restaurant scene, you're also kind of ahead, aren't you as well? 
In in certain ways, um, back in the sort of late 80s is when the restaurant scene really kicked off in Australia. And I was fortunate enough to be right in the middle of it, working for a chap who was very much a front runner for the wine industry in particular, but food and wine. So that really gave me a fantastic exposure to that anyone coming into Australia would come to our restaurant there. And the chap's name was Len Evans and very much a doyon of the wine industry back then. Um, but then it's when people, there was lots of chefs, Neil Perry and uh, lots of other people that were doing amazing things that really made people get out and eat out and all the fantastic produce um, that we had available to us. And obviously we've got lots of influences from Asian countries as well. So it was a real, in the late 80s and early 90s, it was a real, it was just every day you'd be going to a different restaurant and trying different food, things you, and we're always comparing with one another who's been where, who's been to the latest place, which I think kicked off in the 90s here and which I happen to be here for that as well. Um, going back early 90s, I was involved with Harvey Nichols then and um, we opened the fifth floor and I was very fortunate to work for a chap called Dominic Ford who was the director of um, hospitality and it sort of, it moved me from being in restaurants, standalone restaurants where, you know, um, it sort of just it was just to you know get in there and work your socks off to being in a more structured environment, which I think restaurants are now, um, where you know people are, it's a career move. People uh, take it seriously. It's not just a job while you're trying to earn a bit of money. In you Aus- do that as well. In Australia, it's, is um, it more of a career that because there's this is a quite a contentious issue and it's ongoing. And people always say, you know, over here in Britain, even though the food scene and restaurant industry has come on leaps and bounds there's still a bit of a stigma and a lot of people see it as a stopgap um and it's you know it's kind of one of those jobs that you do before heading off to study or something and in australia the pay is a lot better isn't it if you're in the food yes it is um it's it's quite difficult for owners of restaurants because there's a lot of um penalty pays so if you work after midnight you get a loading um, if you work on bank holidays, you get double time or triple time if you work Christmas Day and those sort of days. So there's a lot that looks after. So it's well worth financially to be involved in restaurants. But it's also it's a lifestyle of people and the attitude. It's about, you know, I learned to work very hard. My very first job in restaurants was here in London, working for some crazy Austrians who I love. They're in their 80s now. And um, I still see them. But they taught me the work ethic. They really, you know, they went to catering school in Austria and they put that in me. They also put the fear of God in. Don't be late for work if you've had a big night out. (laughs) So um, it's sort of the work, play hard mentality started then. Then I got back to Australia and and got involved very much in the food and wine element. And it's all about, you know, it just sucks you in. I think as a kid, I was brought up in a household where my mother used to love cooking and so when you can take something that's passionate and put it into your workplace, it's fantastic. And um, and it's fun, you know. I think people, you, you get a lot out of what you put into the restaurant industry, I think. Work, you do work hard, without a doubt. Um, but it's very rewarding. And you've got to be of a certain ilk. And, you've, you know, you can't sit there. You've got to stand up and be counted. Um, and you, yeah, you've just got to just push it along and, and enjoy. And if you like food and wine, it's a fantastic industry to be in. And you, you get, as I said, you get those rewards immediately, looking after customers and things. It's not always straightforward, but you, you get it. You see the smile on someone's face when they've left happy. And that's it's, it's what it's, a lot of it's about. What's the, in Brisbane, um, I've never been to Australia. What's like the kind of, lo- is there a local dish that Brisbane's known for? Or is it is that is that kind of coast? Uh, what's, what's the cuisine? Yeah, there's a couple of things. It's quite seafood oriented. Um, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of influences. But, you know, going, I mean, I haven't lived there for a long time. But there's this, the famous mud crabs. Mud crabs? Great big, hu- mud crabs. They're great big, huge blue things. And then there's other fish, um, coral trout things like that there's obviously prawns lots of seafood but then of course lots of meat as well we love a steak do you think there's there's a restaurant in london or the uk that represents kind of that core australian 
food and cuisine <laughs> apart you know obviously because i mean all we is there anything i mean there's a restaurant called wonder that's australian isn't it or influenced or inspired by i might have got that wrong um, no, I'm sorry, I don't know that one. Oh, okay, it's like WA. I mean, it's not. It's kind of one of those. I think it's East London. It's small and it's not big and glamorous like yeah. your place, obviously. <laughs> but I've heard but good we, things. Uh, there is a problem about getting out of Mayfair. Every time you sort of get out and go around your area, Hoxton and places like that, you sort of go, "Oh my God, I'm on holidays. I'm in a completely different environment." It's quite scary, actually. You do get. I mean, London is amazing because it's got its little villages and you can get locked down in your village. But my village in Mayfair then extends to the farm here in Bedfordshire, so oh, I'm a bit yes. lucky. So you go between Mayfair and a farm? Yes, best every of day. both worlds then. Every day you but travel between? Yeah. So what have you yeah, been doing it's, at, it's quite quick. in Mayfair, doing delivery and stuff from the from the Yeah, restaurant? we're doing takeaways and deliveries. Um, everybody's sort of doing that. It's There's... It's good to do. It's obviously we um, we turn over a little bit of cash flow, but a lot of it's got to do with a bit of morale for some of the staff. It won't be everybody, of course. We've got a, normally we've got a team of two hundred, where we've got twenty working the takeaways. Um, but also with the with the actual building, it keeps the infrastructure going. You're turning on extracts and making everything work the way it should be because to recalibrate all that after you close for three months. Mm-hmm. It's a nightmare. Everything just goes uh, 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 and you know, creeps at the seams. So, so will you be it's ready to, be to doing go? That. Will you be ready to go after lockdown then? You know? Oh God, yeah. We will. We'll take once we know what day. The day two days beforehand, we'll be in doing yet another deep clean and getting everything set up because the the system. I think everyone after last time, the big lockdown um, in in the summer. Everyone was quite quick off the mark, whereas the one in November then reopened in December. Um, it was just like we had a day off and then back again. It's a, We've got a fantastic team and they all know what they're doing. There's a lot of people, the senior managers have been there since the beginning. Um, and we had to, we did actually lose a few people after the summer because we had so many um, restrictions on social distancing and that in within the restaurant. We just and then with the bar, of course, we weren't allowed to have people standing or anything like that. So we had to the business had to be sort of uh, structured differently. But the team we've got now are the absolute core and couldn't live without them. So they just get back on deck. It's like riding a bike. <laughs> it's Novikov, novikovrestaurant.co.uk. Um, Caroline, thanks very much for joining us on Hoxton Radio today. My pleasure. And Thank you for having me. Here's some thunder from down under. This is In Excess with Wildlife on Hoxton Radio. Oh, fantastic. Great. You're listening to the Food and Drink Show on Hoxton Radio. Uh, thanks very much to Caroline for chatting to us uh, from Novikov. Have you been there before, Josh Barry? It no. seems like your sort of fancy place. Really? <laughs> no, she, I've never been. While she was chatting about the scene back home and, um, you know, going around to different, probably actually going around to different restaurants and bumping into people. Have you been here? Have you been there? She was describing your life right now, wasn't she in London running around to different places like your uh I mean uh, well not right now I've been sat in my house you know eating eating waffles eating waffles but um it's prior to March 2020 <laughs> yeah well I run around a little bit but you know probably not as much as she does how many days a week did you used to eat out back in the olden days the olden days yeah pre-March 20 flip it crikey um I don't know. Three? Yeah. How Maybe. many nights would you cook? Oh, I very, very rarely cook. Okay. No. So what else? So you're eating out three nights a week. Well... You're not cooking for four nights. Might, so what I would mean, you do on them nights? Well, you say eating out. I might, you know, mooch over to Rotty Jupiter and get a double or, um, okay. or you know, go get some wings from Morley's or something. But, like, it's... I very rarely cook because if I do cook on a standard night and, you know, there's there's no one else to cater for and it's just a Tuesday and I'm tired and bored um, I might just make a stir fry or an omelette and that's as far as I'll go but you know when I cook I like to make a big thing out of it I like to go and get the fresh produce from the oh, local okay. shops and I want someone to eat it with me or a collection of people to eat it with me and to make a kind of event get some nice wine you know and 
really put because when I'm cooking for myself, like I'm not going to impress myself with my cooking, am I? Do you know how to? I bet you know how to set the fire, the pan on fire on purpose, don't you? And things what, like that. Flambe. Oh, that's what it's called. Um, well, sadly, down. I've got an induction hob. So have I? You can't. Yeah, um, I like it. I like induction though. I everyone, don't. Everyone I hate. Really? Them. Yeah. So you can't flambe on an induction hob, can you? Really? Mm, no. Just, but I mean, you know, and plus, no, I don't do that really. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Do you pretend skilled. you're on a cooking show? No, I, I do. I, I used to when I was a teenager. Chop as quick as I can, and then comment on my own chopping skills. We used to do. In fact, this will be. This will touch you. Okay. Um, hopefully, we used to do a silly. Me and my friends used to do a silly cooking show, fake cooking show, on my mum's old video recorder, um, called Cooking with Tim and Nigel. And um, there he is, big Nigel, big Nige. And uh, we'd be if 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 our parents were out, we'd get into the kitchen and you know film ourselves pretending to be on a cooking show. You know, we might whack some sausages in a pan, we might you know strain some mash. Who knows? The possibilities really were endless, and we had a great time of it. But I'm hopefully those videos are long gone because you know they were awful. I hope they exist because I've got a projector and I'd love to see him here in Hoxton. Um, let us play a wee bit of Bell and Sebastian and get Tom Griffiths on the line um, to talk about his mega impressive Ribbonator coming to screens near you now. I heard someone say on a podcast yesterday, oh, I miss the commute. The commute, no, just I, just I having don't. a bit of time, a bit of me time on the tube or on the, you know the train, just to sit there and collect your thoughts, reflect th- on the day, and read the metro again. You can reflect on the day without being on the tube. You just get a, get in the bath or go for a run. I mean, the commute is not it's nonsense. Anyone who misses the the commute is ju- it just just does not have a proper commute. Tom Griffiths, where are you today in the world? I'm currently in a um, locker room. Um, at our warehouse because the only quiet place because we're knocking out thousands of kits today. What That's is, where I am. What is How it, are you, do, you guys doing? I'm amazing. What does it smell like in the locker room? Um, it smells... Do you remember when... Do you remember PE? Do you remember when you lost your... Did you ever lose your PE kit? All the time. And the teacher sent you in there and like, right, get in there and, and oh, fiddle no. out the yes. kit. That's what it smells like. Um, <laughs> yeah, not really smelling it too well right now but it's, it's not great. <laughs> Tom Griffiths, who are you? <laughs> Who am I? I am uh, the owner of Flank, which is a no-tail um, accessible filtery, and Good Birds, which is a um, small holdings um, chicken concept. And I'm now the head of partnerships for a company called Restaurant Kits as well, um, which I joined about a month ago. Flank, which is all- Flank formerly of Ye Old Spitfields Market. Indeed, yeah. Sadly, that that came to an end um, at the beginning of the the original OG lockdown, um, and now I'm, yeah, it's, it's everything's kind of still kind of shut at the minute. But obviously, when 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 we do open, or if when that ever comes, Frank will be back up and running. But until then, I've got some other bits I'm doing. Is the old Frazzles Burger still on the go? Um, <laughs> no. Do you know what? I did. I put frazzles with a chicken Kiev over Christmas, and it it flew out. Um, but there they are. There, there's all those kind of things. We've been we've been messing around with frazzles. I'm tar- currently talking to Brad Carter about do it make bringing back the turkey Twizzler. Um, so that's quite all kinds of weird, weird and wonderful stuff. But another made, school made by- memory then. So we've got PE kits and turkey Twizzlers. Did you yeah. have turkey Twizzlers at school? Because we did, didn't we? Do you know what? My, 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 I, I remember having loads of. I just remember really terrible beans. Like you know, I'm a bit of. I'm a bit like ketchup. I like Heinz ketchup and I like Heinz beans. I don't like the cheap stuff. And I just remember this watery beans at school. That's mm. all I can remember. I've, watery beans and smelly PE rooms. Yeah, <laughs> I prefer Branston beans to Heinz. By the way, just to let you know. Simple. Okay. Crucial bit of information there for you. Um, you, you know your chicken Kiev. That are you still yeah. doing those? Because I had one of them and, and and it was great. We we aren't. They are now discontinued, and we're on to a, a new product that I'm I'm with. We're kind of selling out every every thirty seconds, which is which is bonkers. There um, it is. The ribbonator is that. The the ribbonator. Yeah. The 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 kind of it, I wanted to bring a an all-encompassing um, whole pig dish which is kind of I'm, I'm a massive lover of um, St. John kind of the institution of London 
and I and I, I really wanted to hit the accessible market with something. So I've actually got people eating um, full animal cookery with with the exception of having a lot of rib in there as well. But it's a broken down entirety of a rib um, and more 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 nose tail pig made into a patty, which is called the ribbonator, and it's got loads and loads of bits with it, and it's kind of taken from the idea of muck rib from McDonald's, um, which is an old eighties classic, and the inspired by the terminator thing which is just absolute jokes but it's fun it's a real fun thing and we're finding that people are, we put it online and it sells out but they're currently back online now um going going strong it's so great what's actually in this ribbonator then what talk us through it exactly so the ribbonator is um yeah it's a nose tail um pork patty um, which is smoked for 16 hours so we smoke it and then we braise it down and they've been they've been brined so they get really really soft then we pack it into this almost like a terrine um and we 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 basically tell this customer to cook the terrine um so this is all malt in the pan and it all gets crispy around the edges then we have two types of um sauces one's a um, little fermented smoked potlay ketchup and the other one is a korean barbecue so you've got spicy kind of smoky heat and then like sweet korean heat then a bunch of um little soy japanese pickles and then loads of crispy bits which is just like puff rice and onions and all kinds of bits and then you have a nice little potato brioche bun um to put it in and you get this massive poster with it which says the ribbonator and then loads <laughs> of stickers and bits and if you're lucky enough you might even get a t-shirt glorious wow. It does sound it's a long good. sleeve as well because it's cold out there so we put a long sleeve t-shirt in how do you get this nationwide so we with restaurant kits they um we have a procurement center here and we pretty much prep everything and then dpd send it nationwide we can go as far as the highlands next day delivery which is really fun um so which is like it's brilliant maybe on the highlands maybe two days but um, we can go. We can go across the country, um, variety with with our um, packaging guys. So it's brilliant. I'm a big fan of Mac and Wild, and I can see that you guys have got them on restaurant kits. We have indeed restaurant um, Veni Moo kit by Mac and Wild is an absolute showstopper. We're knocking out hundreds of them today. Um, they've also launching a. They've done a Valentine's kit, which is sold out now, but it was um, lobster and meat, and it's just an absolute banger. So Mac and Wild are. One of the one of the great people on here. We've got um, flesh and buns. We're doing um, little bow bow buns. We've got cricket on um, with restaurant kits. So we've got loads of different different companies with us, um, which is really fun. And obviously, I've brought the ribbonator on, which is crushing it. So there's lo- loads of stuff. And there's obviously we've seen um, DIY kits just going absolutely mental at the minute. Like every every single restaurant under the sun's doing them. So from a three star Michelin restaurant, you can get a, a, a kit to bob doing a burger down the road so it's it's you name it you can get hold of it which is great do you think after this the evolution could be that someone orders some really fancy food and they put a twist on it at home and they make it even fancier yeah i think i think people are people going rogue i think there's i'm seeing people calling me up going i've got this kit um and it might not even be be ours it'll just be some could be any chef and they'll just ask me some advice on it because that's why I'm a chef at the end of the day and they're, they're asking and I'll be like just go rogue because they don't not everyone has all this equipment they add stuff to it and change it and I think I just think what we need to do is look at more towards experience led stuff as well like give people because people don't just want to cook stuff they want you can just go to M&S and do that I think a lot more kind of having a lot more fun with it and and yeah you can you can go rogue you can do whatever you want with it it's your kit you've paid for it um, just don't just don't undercook stuff DIY kits are obviously, um, you know, lifeline at the moment, and they've got restaurants, something for restaurants to put out, make a little bit of money. Obviously, it's not quite the same levels as being open, but it's something at least. And it seems to me like that there are a lot of chefs talking about how they're going to continue even after opening. Like uh, Simon Rogan up in the Lake District has built a whole unit to carry on. Um, quite a lot. Of Tommy Banks is talking about carrying on doing his. Are you going to still sell ribbonators? From- yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna do a whole series of ribbonators. Um, they're gonna we we might even turn it into a, another business if it carries on the way it is, um, because it's just it's a great product and it's it's really quite unique, which is really fun. I think the the thing is with with what we're doing at restaurant kits as well is a lot of them you've got obviously got Big Night and you've got um, all the other the other guys doing that sort of procurement side of. Um, 
ordering platforms. The difference with us at Restaurant Kits is that we make the products for them. We don't just pick it up from your restaurant. So, for instance, Tommy Banks, where he's making his in his restaurant, we can actually take that off his hands for him, and we make, like, ribbonators are all made by Restaurant Kits. Um, venue kits are all made by restaurant kits. We just give them a recipe and then they take it on. And that's to us. Once restaurants close, I'm sorry, when restaurants reopen, um, they might not be able to do this because they're going to be full of people. They're going, oh, we can't do our DIY kits anymore because we've got customers to feed. So that's where restaurant kits come on. Go, hang on a minute, we can do that for you. So that's a really, really good, solid thing to have as a lifeline for us because there are plenty of restaurants that are closed at the minute that don't have the facilities to make these things happen, but do have the reach on social media or whatever. And we at restaurant kits can do that, and that's why you know the ribbonators on here and because oh. um, flat clothes and Mac and Wild, you know, they they can't, don't have the facilities to do it. So that's where restaurant kits has been a lifeline for a lot of these places. Also, it's quite nice because obviously it's another, it's additional revenue stream. And also, I mean, obviously when restaurants reopen, I'm sure people will go mad for them and hopefully, you know, people will be out and about. But also this kind of idea that, you know, you might want to go out on a Friday night, but on a Saturday you might want to stay in even after lockdown. And um, I suppose also, you, you know, delivery and takeaway will always be popular in, in Britain, won't it? And uh, is, this sounds like quite a good way to um, try to stem the tide of delivery, you know, because... Yeah, I think so. I think I think the delivery aspect, the, the delivery people have absolutely crushed it and they've really swamped the system. But the thing is, and this is, this is something I've gone quite close to my heart with, is that the big delivery companies are just capitalizing on the mass chains if you go on to whatever yeah. app it the first thing you see is the big chains all the little guys are at the bottom um because it's all about the amount of orders the amount of the more orders you have the more you go to the top and that's just wrong i don't think it's right just and if you look at the adverts and whatever all the adverts are all the big chains and stuff and it's because it gives them loads of money and it's we're we're uh, with with the other companies like the big nights and restaurant kids and those guys, we're all about looking after people within our industry who really need that help right now we don't have um millions sitting in the bank we don't have huge massive tax write-offs we're we're just a couple of people doing something we believe in and, and we're really passionate about so these these companies are, are just really helping us out massively and without them i i think hospitality would be in a way worse situation than it is currently this is tom griffiths founder and chef at flank london and good birds london head of partnerships at restaurant kits check out um the new dish which is uh setting the country alight right now can we uh, can we say that can we profess that the ribbonator it's got everyone by storm um a self proclaimed filthinator tom thanks for joining us on the line today you're welcome guys you take it easy have a great day all right oh never mind yeah sometimes you get there sometimes you don't but the journey as long as you're enjoying the journey which uh yeah the journey's flipping great right now isn't it it's freezing cold forgot my glove one glove just one it's always only ever one isn't it if you had if you forgot both you'd be like oh yeah i need to get my gloves but if you're out the house you're down the road you're just running oh jesus where's the other glove I don't think I own gloves. Oh, okay. You, you, oh, okay. I You're fine then. Them. I need mittens. Mm. Yeah, the old string through yeah. the sleeves yeah. going on yeah. there. Yeah. Because I lose gloves, lose headphones, lose everything. Well, it's because you, you know, you fill yourself with wholesome, nutritional, spicy food like chili marmite. Yeah, it's new. It's new, and it, uh, marmite just release some sort of novel dish all the time, don't they? Marmite scones, marmite crisps. Marmite chocolate, which is disgusting. Did someone, um, did someone radical join a really old brand and go, "Hey guys, I think we should do all this"? Or did Marmites sell the rights to themselves to, like, you know, the way that is it Disney or someone like maybe the Star Wars rights, so that they can just make new versions of now? I have absolutely no. I think it's just Marmite, which Marmite's own. Um, I'm pretty sure they've just obviously got quite a creative, excitable development recently, team with though, a budget really you think i mean did it start with peanut butter a few years ago it must be because oh yeah marmite peanut butter which i think was last year or the year before mm-hmm. that caused some shock waves but prior to that social media well maybe it's because they were bought by unilever not so long yeah. ago and they've got a big old budget haven't they so they've been like look here you go do some marketing do some products put in put in all of this in m&s what was the chili one like then chili marmite yeah well yeah, chili marmite is just marmite, but a bit spicy. Mm. There's not. I mean, it's not. It's not very hot. 
Is that a combo you'd done before? Because I'd definitely done Marmite and peanut butter. I had done that prior to it being done. I don't know if I've put just like chili sauce with a bit of Marmite on a crumpet before, but I'd like to. Yeah, no. I could dip some into a Kona easily. I love spicy foods and, you know, but it's... I mean, I get why they have to keep it fairly subtle. It's a kind of gentle heat because otherwise um, oh, it's so it will hot. put everyone off. But it's it's a slow gentle heat but when mixed with butter because you can't have marmite without, without butter on toast yeah, or crumpets easy yeah well, i can't it's, it's easy i can't it would be just too you know you need the fat don't you okay. i think to bring it home but saying all that while it's nice i have to say and take this opportunity to say that by far marmite is inferior to bovril and you can't eat that because you're a vegan. But Bob Rule's just nicer. It's is got it? beef in it. Might give it a try a bit later anyway. And, I mean, you can add chilli flakes to Bob Rule and away you go. George Lamb, um, broadcaster, former Six Music DJ, loads of Channel 4, T4 stuff. Him and his dad work at a school in uh, Whetstone and they run a... It's, 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 um, it's a farm, it's a community farm and it's called We Are Grow. So it's an allotment and the school kids come and tend to the crops and then they just make amazingly delicious food. So they feed these kids really well and they teach them about dieting and nutrition and get them to make the meals. It's Yeah, I follow them. I follow them on social. It just looks like they're having a lot of fun. Um, and while school meals have been in the press recently and that's just the standard of them they're doing really good things up in Whetstone so we're going to reach out to George Lamb and to Larry Lamb who's your favourite and see if we can get him on love Larry yeah maybe we could get them both on the line that'd be great I'd be happy with George you can have Larry yeah okay that's that's great check them out we are grow with a couple of underscores um, and yeah if you are behind a school or you work with one and you've got a bit of space out the back start growing some crops and uh, feed your feed your family a feast. Um, this is Natalie and Brulia. A big mistake. You are listening to the London Foot and Drink Show on Hoxton Radio. Sophia, once when's your time in music? When's your favourite musical time that you're like, yes, that was me. <laughs> um, I'm pretty weird. What I'm like into, like um, kind of medieval music, and then I have a black hole, and then I'm quite good at like post two thousand. Okay. Um, <laughs> very odd. Hmm. Did you say medieval music? Yeah, yeah. So um, okay. I actually sing. This is kind of off-piste for um, food chat, but I sing in a band called Medieval Babes. So that's so that's why I'm quite well acquainted with uh, centuries-old music, but then have a massive gap in my knowledge. They're called what? Medieval Babes. Medieval. Oh, sorry, not medieval. <laughs> Oh, I understand. Okay. Medieval babes. Okay, I'm just getting medieval. Hold on. No, medieval. <laughs> Veni, Veni Bella. Yes, that's it. Rosario, the blacksmiths. What on earth is going on? These are some of their tunes, some of the top hits. Well, I'll listen. Yeah, okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah, very weird. Um, black hole for you to be going down on the... What day, Thursday morning? Mm, but I guess, yeah, we started it, but it was nice that you continued it. What's happening with this at the moment? You've got um, a pizza that's available right now. We do. So we teamed up with Vegan Doco um, to make a special for Valentine's Day. Um, I know, obviously, people are bored at home looking for some inspiration, can't get out at the moment. Everyone's pretty miserable. But it's quite fun. Like They've used our This Isn't Bacon, which is plant-based um, bacon, which is hyper-realistic, possibly the most realistic um, plant-based bacon in the world. Um, and they've made it into heart shapes and they put it on their animal meat feast pizza, um, which is really, really fun. What's this bacon made out of then? It's made out of soy and pea protein um, and obviously a few other kind of like smoky flavours. Um, and I guess for a bit of context around it, if you haven't tried it before, um, it's it was born out of founders Andy and Pete's desire for a super bacony, um, well, plant-based meat. But they, they didn't want to have real meat anymore. They used to have a burger chain, basically, for context. Felt a bit guilty um, and decided to move into plant-based meat. And as meat lovers, they they wanted something that would really satisfy their cravings. So the brand and the product really answered to that, um, which is why we have this as a bacon. So it's and it's also like. Um, I don't know about you guys, but bacon's probably the, the most difficult thing for meat eaters to give up or when they're trying to reduce. So we're kind of answering that. When you whack it in a pan, 
does it curl and crisp up along the edge? Is there that kind of rim <laughs> ridge of fat that you can't? Can you replicate that in the vegan world? It does. That's a good question. So it's super close to it. I'd say it definitely gets that lovely crispiness that you get, and that kind of satisfying umami, smoky um, flavor and crunch from real bacon. Fat is something that we're looking into now because um, Andy, especially is super, Andy, one founder, is super keen to have that element in the bacon. But it's definitely streaky and smoky, so it, I think it hits the spot. I obviously biased, but we have a we have a large based on some fans who are also addicted to it where is your plant where are you making your products so we make them in Europe we're hopefully moving everything over to the UK um, and we're building a, a really wonka style innovation factory um, without the Oompa um, so <laughs> that should hopefully be popping up later this year actually um, and maybe we're hoping to invite some people in to experience the craziness of inside our plant-based world. So maybe we'll, once it's up and running, we'll send you an invitation. Oh, please do. Um, hit us with a tasty recipe that we can make in the week with some of your stuff. Oh, so, well, coming up to Shrove Tuesday. So, and um, I would highly, highly recommend doing pancakes with the bacon. Um, and like a vegan pancake recipe is really easy you can basically just get rid of the eggs or sub in a flax egg um and um they don't taste are you meat eaters i assume you are i am very much so you are. yeah yeah and yeah so there's always something like i'm very suspicious of things that taste too vegan or have some like chemical that's been subbed in whereas pancakes you don't have to do that it's really basic and then if you just top it with some maple syrup or um like kind of crispy this is bacon and maybe some banana if you're feeling adventurous it's such a great combo can i just ask very quickly actually i'm very intrigued by this um willy wonka vegan bacon factory are you going to do yeah. some golden tickets in in vegan bacon packets and because it's going mainstream now isn't it in all the supermarkets and you've got you know you've got the interest of the general public so is that going to happen are you going to really take veganism to that rolled Dalian world a hundred percent like that's the dream um i don't know if you've seen some of us dance we basically pride ourselves on doing things a little bit differently um being a bit rebellious and so willy wonka is definitely kind of in the right vein for us um we did a stunt last year where we managed to trick thousands of londoners into thinking ed sheeran was giving out mm -hmm. real chicken nuggets in shoreditch um and and yeah, it was actually a fake Ed Sheeran giving out our nuggets, um, which was this isn't chicken. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing we want to pull out, pull off um, when we have that innovation centre and we have like, yeah, new product coming out. Yeah, I think that was just around the corner at Box Park. You did that. The traffic even stopped yeah. on the street. So <laughs> did you come it was. Yeah, I saw the hullabaloo. I thought, what is this craziness? Oh, it said cheer and eating <laughs> some vegan food. Nice. Just a day in the life of this, this dot yeah. UK. Um, thanks very much for joining us on the telephone line, Sophia. Oh, pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And um, let's play out with the Medieval Babes and Victoria top tune on Spotify. <laughs> we'll see you very soon. Awesome, bye. If you make tasty food or drink and would like to be featured on the show, drop us an email to info at hoxtonradio.com.